For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, Night Nation, as week one in the books, off to game number two to Greenville, North Carolina, the Knights go. We welcome you in here two nights, one podcast, UCF victorious a week ago in Atlanta against Georgia Tech, and now going up on the road against a conference opponent. As what's good night, fans, we welcome you in. Scott Adams here, along with the Dews, Leger Doosable, former night standout, nine-year NFL veteran. And wow, dudes, how about that? You go up national television against Georgia Tech. You're up at the half 28 to 14. It was a very odd third quarter, but then the Knights really pulling away there in the fourth and showing the nation why this is the 13th ranked team in the nation and they're not going anywhere. They're getting better. Oh, 100%, especially after what we saw transpire last week, Georgia Tech versus Florida State. I know a lot of Knights fans were worried. I know I was worried when they closed the gap to seven points in the third quarter. But like you said, we're ranked 13 for a reason. Dylan Gabriel showed that last year he's grown in his leadership role, and he really got that offense, and Coach Hypo got that offense cooking in the fourth quarter, 21 and answered to prove that, that the Knights are for real this year. Coming up here on our two nights, one podcast, we'll take a quick look back there at Georgia Tech. I want to get Deuce's thoughts as to who stepped up, who really impressed you there in game number one. We'll take a look at East Carolina, and then we get a chat with somebody that Knight fans are pretty familiar with. One, not just because played against UCF for four consecutive years there against the Dews back in 04 to 07, but was one of the best tailbacks in the entire NFL for a good five or six years. We'll hear from Chris Johnson. The Dews will give us uh, what are the keys to a night victory coming up on Saturday against East Carolina, and then we'll finish it off, as we always do, with a little Dews speak. But all right. 660 yards of total offense, 417 through the air, 243 on the ground. And now sophomore Dylan Gabriel. Wow, 417 yards, that a career high. He tied a career high, four touchdowns. And, and dudes, he was named nearly every uh, player of the week honor this past week. What a first game performance by Dylan Gabriel. And deservingly, Scott, he deserved to win that award. It was a great showing by Dylan Gabriel. He showed his growth from year one into year two in, in Coach Hypo's offense. But I think the thing that really resonated with me and why I was so impressed was his bounce back from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. You know, the, 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 in the third quarter, the offense was kind of stagnant. We had a few turnovers. But in that fourth quarter, he was pinpoint direct and on point. I don't think he might have even had one or two incompletions. 
in that fourth quarter. He was he was just on the money. I mean, he has a real rapport with Marlon Williams. But like I said, he spread the ball around to six different receivers with all six receivers at least catching two passes, three receivers going over 90 yards. And that's that's so pivotal going down the stretch because you cannot key on just one or two receivers for the UCF uh, offense. I know last year a lot of people would key on Gabe Davis, but with this, the way this offense is shown in week one, you're not going to be allowed to do that going forward with this UCF offense. We'll get to the defense here in, in just a second, dudes. But, you know, last year you and I on the sidelines and it just seemed game after game, it didn't matter where – the ball was thrown. If it was low, if he had to go up and leap for it, he, this is, I, I came up with this this past week. He is like the human Venus flytrap because <laughs> anything within a three to five foot radius of Marlon Williams, he's going to catch it. And you've said he's got the best hands, not just in the American, but, but maybe across the country. How good was Marlon Williams this past week? Yes, Scott, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. To me, he has the best and softest hands in all the nation. And like you said, some of the catches he makes just are ridiculous, and he makes them look routine, like that, like that catch in, in the back of the end zone where Dylan Gabriel probably had maybe a foot to fit the ball in, and it hit him dead in the chest with a defender, literally squared up in his face. He couldn't even see the ball. For your reaction time to be able to catch that proves to me that this guy has the best hands in college football. And then – on that, 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 that pivotal play when, you know, Dylan Gabriel gets flushed out of the pocket. He runs, rolls out to the right, and Marlon works back to him. I think Marlon actually jumped early, but he was still able to stretch his arms up and catch that pass for an explosive 40-plus yard reception. This guy gets it done, and, and it's going back to last year. This isn't something he just did this year. He's been doing it since last year. Yeah, it's one thing to see it day of and being able to see the replay during the course of the game, but then going back during the course of the week and, and watching some yeah. of those highlights, you talk about that defender right in front of him. You don't really get a sense until you see it from another angle where that defender is right in front of him. The defender somehow just moves out of the way. It comes right into Marlon's midsection, and, and he catches it and, and makes that touchdown. But the concentration for for something like that here in his senior year, you know, ten catches, 154 yards, two touchdowns, and you know, off to to East Carolina. Jalen Robinson, he had a big day. Trey Nixon had a big day before yeah. before he went down. We'll see what his status is here for East Carolina, but but can't say enough there about a, a game one performance offensively for the Knights. No, you can't. And you stated uh, Jalen Robinson, welcome to the party. 100 yards receiving in the first half. Trey Nixon was playing really great football before the injury, too. So we'll see what his status is going forward. If not, Ryan O'Keefe is going to have to step up and other receivers will have to step up. And we saw that in the fourth quarter that Dylan Gabriel really trusts Marlon Williams. And that's a guy when he's in trouble. That's where he's going with the football. Defensively, dudes, five, count them, five turnovers. A, a blocked field goal, and how about onto the scene comes true freshman defensive lineman, right? <laughs> Josh Seliscar in his debut. He had the, the forced fumble, then he recovered it. He had two tackles on the day, and then <laughs> this is kind of like the unicorn. Four years of your UCF career. Was there ever an interception that you got? No, I never had a foot, an interception in, in college football. I had one in high school return yeah. for a touchdown, but I didn't have one in college, man. So, yeah, Josh Seliscar, man, for, for somebody that a lot of people didn't even know was going to play going into this game, 
he played at an all-time high level. And as the young kids, we like like to say, you love to see it. I mean, and it's like the D-line, it just gets richer and richer, right, Scott? We talked about this 8, 9, 10, 11 guys that we rotate, and all these guys made pivotal plays. Landon Woodson showed up. Randy Charlton, to me, was the defensive player of the game. Am I not showing the stat sheet, but he had four quarterback hurries. A couple of those caused turnovers. And then a couple of his batted passes turned into interceptions, one being a Josh Selleskar interception. So to me, Randy, Jol- uh, Randy Charlton was a defensive player of the game. And then also, you look at the linebackers. Eric Gilliard had 10-plus tackles, a couple tackle for losses, a forced fumble. He played really well. Eric Mitchell played really well. Richie Grant imposing his will on, on, on quarterback Jeff Sims back there in the secondary. And then our young players playing so well. Hodges getting a lot of time at corner playing well. Gordon. Corey Thornton, to me, when you're not named as a corner, that means you're doing a good job. That means guys aren't completing passes on you. So we didn't hear his name a lot. When you're a corner where you don't hear a guy's name a lot, that's a positive thing. That means he didn't get picked on as a true freshman. He was in the right place, right time. And he made actually a pivotal tackle, too, on a fourth down stop. So you just got to really love where Randy Shannon has his defense and how it's flying. Yes, we have to do better in our in our run fits. And we talked about, about that during the podcast, I mean, during the broadcast on Saturday. But you expect some of those mistakes, it being only week one, the missed tackles, you're going to expect some of that. We gave up too many rushing yards, gave up almost 230 rushing yards. But a lot of that was because we had bad fits. And that's going to happen in week one when you haven't really had a, a full camp and haven't had a, a spring practice and have and this was your first week out playing against another opponent. So that, well, those we, are things that we'll clean up going forward. Yeah. And that was one of the things Randy Shannon had talked about If we can tackle there in game one to a certain level, that's going to put us in a, in a very good position to win the football game. What else puts you in a good position is creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. And, and what did he want coming into 2020? That being Randy Shannon, Getting more uh, of those sorts of opportunities, creating those opportunities for your teammates, which UCF did. You get the five turnovers, and then you give up just seven points there in that second half. You keep them out of the end zone. That was one of the big things that Randy Shannon wanted to stress in 2020 was red zone defense. And for the most part, Jeff Sims, he's going to be a good quarterback, I think, in the ACC. And Georgia Tech fans, they got a lot to, to look forward to. You know, he finishes the day just 50% on his on his tosses. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about this, too, on the broadcast, Scott. If if you win the turnover ratio, if you win in the red zone, offense and defense, the percentage of you going to win the game, it really it really goes high, a lot higher than if you don't win those categories. So you can tell that's something that UCF really harped on on defense. That red zone defense, yes, we gave up a score late on, I think, on a fourth down pass to Gibbs. Um, but in the second half, the defense only really gave up that that one score, and it was on a fourth down that they, they needed to even get in the end zone. I mean, the defense had so many turnovers. Like I said, we constantly put pressure on Jeff Sims, which is a positive. I saw us getting pressure on Jeff Sims without having pass rush games, without having a blitz. So that's positive, especially when you have two young corners playing out there. The, the, the less guys that you have to, to put into the box to stop the run or to, to stop quarterbacks or get pressure on the quarterback, it bodes well when your D-line can take over games in the, in, the, in the front seven. That way your linebackers could just worry about the pass, especially when you have a lead. You don't have to worry about the quarterback getting out of pocket and running. And Jeff Sims, like, as you stated, is going to be a good quarterback. So he's going to be elusive. He's going to make guys miss. But the D-line never had their head down. They kept attacking this guy play after play after play. And that's something that you got to have. And we talked about that depth on D-line. That's what really separates us from other teams in, in, in the American Conference. We have got like eight, nine, ten guys that can go and be productive. So that's something that's going to bode well for UCF going forward. 
Knights 1-0 on the season. Get the dub there in Atlanta. Take care of Georgia Tech. Nationally televised game. What do we follow it up with? Another Ooh. nationally televised <laughs> <Another> game. <one. laughs> yes, that's what kind of fell into our laps. But hey, that's okay. Over 3 million people across the country watched the brand of UCF a week ago. And now up to Greenville here to take on a familiar foe, East Carolina and the Pirates. Let's dive into them dudes, a team that was just... Four and eight a season ago, just one win in conference play. But much like Georgia Tech, this is the second year here under their head coach, Mike Houston. He comes over. He had a lot of success at James Madison. Three years he was there prior to coming to Greenville, won an FCS national championship. And much like Georgia Tech and Jeff Collins, last year they hope was a transition year. They want to get better here in 2020. The question is, do they have the sorts of a firepower and and defense to 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 hold up against the Knights. Yeah, definitely. We saw it last week too with Georgia Tech. This is their second year in the program, so you're gonna say their their play is gonna elevate from year one to two. Guys are gonna start buying into the program, and also a lot of those guys that he recruited become sophomores and they played as true freshmen, so they have that experience. and And some of these receivers that they have are really explosive. C.J. Johnson, true freshman last year, was on a lot of all freshman honor award lists. Because he's such an explosive receiver, led the team in receiving with over 900 yards. So they have weapons. They have players on the outside that are capable. Also, Blake Pro, he has a real rapport with quarterback Holden Ehlers, is another guy that that averages over 13 yards a catch. They have skilled position uh, players, and they've always had that at ECU. Talking about uh, Chris Johnson being one of them in the past. So this is this is something that ECU I think has a small advantage as because they've they've never played this year. So we don't really know how they're going to come out. It's hard to scout a team. I know we have all of last year's film, but you know things change from week from week to week. As we, we talked about it last last uh, last week versus Georgia Tech, the defense is usually a four three defense. They came out there in a, th- a three four defense. Dylan Gabriel was able to sort everything out and still be productive. But we don't know if they're going to change up their defensive front, if they're going to change up their offensive scheme. We don't have any any clues of that. So we have to play a, a good brand of UCF football and have to adjust on the run. Well, defensively for East Carolina a year ago, it it was not very good. They gave up nearly 470 yards per game, 34 points per game. I mean, they were kind of down at the, the bottom 15 in all of college football. Defensively, a new defensive coordinator comes aboard. You mentioned this, their first game. They were supposed to play dudes. They were supposed to square off against Marshall back on September 12th. That game postponed because ECU had a rash of positive COVID tests. There was a, 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 a supposed to be a bye week, which there was in between UCF here, uh, this game against against us. But yeah, this this is their their first game, and in 2020, nothing nothing should surprise us, right? 100. percent it's, it's a common theme. You see a lot of teams having to postpone yeah. and, and move games, and the reason why we got this ABC game is because the Notre Dame game got postponed. Be- uh, due to COVID concerns. So like I said, we, we've we never been able to see what they've brought out this year on the field. We've been able to scout what they did last year, but they got a whole new defensive coordinator. Who knows if the scheme changes up totally. We don't know what they're going to bring out on offense either because, like I said, this is the first time we get to see them on film this year. 
Well, UCF, a season ago, it was a night victory in the bounce house, 41-28. to 28. Dudes, it was 35-6 to six at the half, and then the Pirates, hey, what do you remember about this game? Because they're in that third quarter, things got a little bit interesting before UCF was able to, to pull away and, and shut the door on the Pirates. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like last week, right? We were kind of stagnant in the third quarter. It's the same thing last year versus ECU. I remember we were really big, really up big at halftime, as you stated. And then in the third quarter, it's just like we couldn't seem to do anything right. And then we couldn't stop holding Ehlers in that offense. It was like they were on fire. I remember Chris C.J. Johnson actually went over 100 yards that game versus us. And he was their their main receiver. And, And that's a guy that you know, Holton Ehlers will target, and he's their explosive big play receivers. So, like I said, they're they're definitely, definitely capable on the outside with their two receivers that they have. This is a team that with Holton Ehlers, if he's comfortable in the pocket, he can really hurt you. So that's it's it's a pivotal that UCF makes him uncomfortable this week because if he's if he's able to sit back there and, and throw to who he wants to throw, then it could be a long day. I mean, I remember he threw for I think over 500 yards versus a ranked Cincinnati last year. And if he hadn't thrown that pick six, they probably would have upset Cincinnati and maybe their season would have been a lot different than it ended up being. So this is a team that is very capable. Uh, If you give them opportunities to make plays, they will. Yeah, Holton Ehlers against us a year ago, 300 yards. And I remember that Cincinnati game vividly because that was a win that the Knights uh, could have had to help us in in terms of the AAC uh, uh, standings there. But yes, Holton Ehlers now here in his junior campaign. He'll be taking uh, the snaps here under center. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to a former Pirate and a very good one at that. Drafted in the first round by the Tennessee Titans back in 2008. Maybe one of the fastest players during his span in the NFL, that being Chris Johnson. Rushed for over 2,000 yards there in that that 2009 season. So, Chris Johnson, Mr. Former Pirate, give us a reason here why here in year number two under this, this head coaching staff, why things might be different in 2020 for the Pirates. Oh, man. You know, those guys last year, honestly, just from me going to the game, and it's crazy because I went to the UCF um, ECU game at at UCF, and it was crazy, man. Like, our whole entire team was, like, freshmen and sophomores. So, you know, anytime, like, I'm not sure about dudes, but when I came in, we wasn't that good of a team. But all our guys stuck together from my freshman, sophomore year, all the way up. And by the time, you know, we got to my junior year, my senior year, we started turning things around and start having a way better program, way better team um, coaching and everything. So um, I'm just going basically off experience, I think. And, you know, those guys being older and, you know, when I seen them play, you know, they had some sparks and, um, they was doing pretty good to be so young. So them having the whole year on their belt and coming on for this year, um, I think we're going to be a whole lot better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the situation when I went to UCF. When we came in, a lot of the younger guys played as freshmen and, and true sophomores. And by the time we got, you know, my sophomore year, we were really good because we had B. Marsh and Mike Sims Walker and everything. By the time that they left, though, by my senior year, all of us had played from, from freshman year 04 all the way to 07. So there was a lot of continuity in that group. And that's what led us to getting our first conference championship in, in UCF history. And I can see what you're saying, why there's so much promise for ECU, because they had a lot of guys like C.J. Johnson, 
you know, a true freshman, lead them in receiving last year. And, and yeah. even Holton Ayers really has only started for a year and a half. He's a young quarterback that's very athletic and, and, and very accurate when given time. And is also a bigger body quarterback that turns into a running back when he runs the ball. So yeah. I can see why there's so much promise for ECU this, you know, upcoming year. But, you know, that's going to stop on Saturday. It's just going to be <laughs> tough for y'all. <laughs> Thanks so, man. You think so. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, the thing that the thing that is on your side that it will be an empty stadium. So whoever's going to come out there with more energy is going to definitely have an advantage. Yeah, and that's what I think is going to be big um, with this year, especially um, with college football, because you know the pros. You know, people um, they know how to be pros and athletes and do what they have to do. But when it comes down to college, and especially to say like this ECU versus. UCF game, the atmosphere, all every um, ECU versus UCF game I've ever played in or been to, the atmosphere is crazy. Oh, a lot of energy, everything. So it's like that's going to be the biggest thing with this game and also college football is who know how to come out here and, and you know, provide their own energy, not have to feed off the crowd, not have to do this, who know how to provide their own energy and, and, and take it to the next level? Because dudes can tell you, it, it may be sometimes you go out to practice and we you have the best practice ever. Then two practice later, you, you may look like the sorriest team <laughs> in the country. You know true. what I'm saying? So it's like you don't have no game, like you, you don't have no crowd out there to get hyped up and stuff. So you don't want to go out here game time and be and don't have that energy and go out there and just think you're going to roll the ball out and just run over the opponent. Know what I'm saying? You go out there and, and can get beat if your energy and your focus is not where it's supposed to be. Former East Carolina Pirate great, that is Chris Johnson. And the tables have turned here maybe the past five, six years in this series. I, I know that you can remember the days in Conference USA before coming to the American. ECU, and dudes, you'll you'll attest to this. I think of, of all the teams that we would square off in, in Conference USA and then they're initially in the American one of those true rivalry games that we had, I would say, had always been East Carolina, dating all the way back to, to when you guys two played. What do you guys remember about that series and, and the fact that maybe it was kind of the closest rivalry uh, if there was one in Conference USA for these two schools? Well, with me, the situation was I kind of um, I kind of made it a rivalry. Like, <laughs> with not like, you know, not with it. I'm just saying, like, from my perspective, I kind of made a, a rivalry in my mind because it was like, one, me coming out of college, UC, I'm from Orlando, UCF didn't offer me a scholarship. For two, um, I'm coming back to play against basically my hometown team. So, you know, all of that just, just made it a rivalry in my own mind. But it just seemed like, once we, the more we played, you know, it was always good games and stuff like that. And it was always a great atmosphere. And it kind of just rolled over to just being a, that game that was circled on the calendar. Every time the, the um, schedule came out, that game was circled on the calendar. And it was like, we know this going to be, it's going to be a dog fight. Yeah, I would definitely have to attest to that. I say going back to 05, my sophomore year. We went up there and got the win, but it literally was a dogfight. To me, that was the best 
atmosphere in Greenville as far as going on the road in a in a conference play in Conference USA, as far as going on the road and playing a team where they had the best atmosphere, going to Greenville East, ECU was definitely the best atmosphere. And then, you know, junior year, they, they got us. And then uh, senior year, Chris just went crazy on us. I think he had 500 total yards of, of offense. And I don't know why we kicked the ball to this guy. It just made <laughs> no sense. But usually whoever won that game was going win the conference, like Chris would say. We would circle that game on our calendar because we knew that was the game that was going to determine and at least in the East Division, who was going to go to the conference championship game? Well, right. one of the most memorable games here of recent notes. Let's go into the, the way back time machine. Not too far way back. 2014, there was a certain throw that, that ended the game there that ended up being a night victory. And I know you guys have a fun story that, that had to do with a little side wager between the two of you guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in 2014, Chris joins me as a, as a, as a New York Jet in New York. And uh, I think the game happened to be, if I'm not correct, uh, correct, Chris, like a game was on a Friday night. So we had an opportunity to actually go watch the game. And Chris actually lived literally right around the corner from me. So we decided to go to this restaurant and watch the game. You know, we had a little side razor on, on the game. And, uh, you know, ECU takes the lead very late. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's talking all this smack, this, that. And I, I ain't gonna lie, my head was down because I was like, we let, it was our <laughs> fault. We let ECU back in the game. And then literally, my guy, Brashard Perriman, you know, Hail Mary. <laughs> I think it was like 50 or 60 yards, too, Scott. Yeah. Last play of the game. That's catches right. the ball, <laughs> no clock, no, the clock runs off, and uh, UCF escapes with a victory. And I think part of it was ECU had mismanaged the clock. And when they were taking kneel downs, that gave, uh, you know, UCF, I think, a couple plays at the end of the game. So I think the play before the Hail Mary, we got like a, a 10 or 15-yard out route that we got and got out of bounds. And then I'm like, man, Lord, just just put it in the end zone and let somebody go out there and get it. And, and sure enough, you know, Perriman goes up, <laughs> catches the ball in the back of the end zone. I think two ECU players jumped too early. The yeah. ball goes behind them. They didn't get to bat the ball down, and it literally lands in Brashard Perriman's hands. He walks off, literally is running off the field as the, the Knights scored it to take the win. And I'm running out of the restaurant full speed because Chris thought he won the game, but it wasn't over yet. Yeah, man, it was crazy. Like, I never lost like that, like, in real life. But that made me seem like I was actually in the game, like, because they throw the Hail Mary up. And it's like, um, Perriman is back there, and we got two guys right there. All they got to do is bat the ball down. So it seemed like they just look at it, and they jump too late, and he just catch the ball. And it was, man, it was crazy, man. I thought I had done, I thought I had done won the wager. This and that, I'm talking trash, all this, and I don't know what, man, the last and Out of nowhere, it was Hale, Hale Perryman, as Knight fans will remember that one for – for the ages. Hey, you guys, you guys mentioned being able to create an atmosphere in your mind, in your head. And that that's definitely going to be a test, not just for UCF, but for, for East Carolina. And the two of you have, who have played at the highest level, you know, about getting your minds right, going in game in game out. You know, what, what would you say to some of these guys who are in this situation where from a game to game basis, you don't know how many fans are going to be in the stand. So what is that mental preparation maybe that you could, you could uh, embark or, or impart wisdom on to some of these, these guys that'll go out on the field. Um, well, I say just no matter what level you at um, college, 
NFL, you just got to know what your goal is. You know what I'm saying? If you're in college, you know where you're trying to get to. So don't forget that. I don't care if it's, I don't like, you know, playing in Conference USA, you know, we had some games where it was like, I know at ECU, we always packed it out 40, 50,000. But you may go somewhere and it may be 10,000 people. So at the end of the day, no matter if it's one person in the crowd or 40,000 people in the crowd, I always knew in my mindset where I wanted to get to. So I'm not going to let that affect me. That's just like something that coaches done told every single athlete. I don't care what's going on in the outside world. When you step a foot on the, when you step foot on the football field, you got to block all that out. Yes, you got to find your energy, but as Chris stated, so importantly, you got to figure out your reasoning for being out on that field in the first place. Like, why are you stepping out on that field? And that's what you cling to when there is no crowd. And and he said in Conference USA, I remember we went to Tulane, and this is before Tulane had their own stadium. They were playing at the Superdome. You know, the Superdome was big, but Tulane is a private school, so they don't really have, like, a crazy fan base. Literally, man, it was actually cold. I remember being in there and it was cold because of the lack of fans. It literally was maybe a thousand people in the whole Superdome. <laughs> so it was kind of like how players are playing now in empty stadiums. And I yeah. had to find my own energy. It was like junior, senior year we were playing them. And like I know I had aspirations of going to the NFL, so I couldn't let you know it being only a little bit of fans in there deter me from, from having energy and, and being and mentally prepared and physically prepared for that game. So I agree with Chris. You have to figure out what's the reasoning I'm out here. Why did I come out here? Why am I playing football? And you cling to that. And if you do that, that the crowd not being there won't really matter. A pirate great from 04 to 07, Olympia High School's own Chris Johnson. Chris, before before we get get you out of here, share with, with our night fans, because I know you live in the greater Orlando area what you've got cooking right now, and I know you also were able to go back up to East Carolina, finish your degree. I know you're, you're quite happy with that and, and pleased with that, but share with Knight fans what, what you have in store here coming up in the very near future. A lot of people around the world would think transitioning from NFL player to regular person um, would be easy. Um and it's not just because, you know, when you're in the NFL, everybody knows you this and that. I'm just saying as far as like business wise and living, going back to living a regular life. So, you know, it was a couple of things I tried to get into and it was just like, it ain't work out. You know what I'm saying? And I just figured on my own, like if I want to get into something and be successful with it and make it be real good, I got to take the same mindset as I took when I was in college or in high school on trying to make it to the pro. So I got to learn this stuff by myself, by myself, know it myself. And I felt like the, my best way on, you know, starting the business and getting it to where I want to get it to is first, what I need to do is go back to school and get my degree. And the short time that I was in school after I retired, I may have learned more in that time on what I did the first my first three years while I was in school playing football because my focus was on football. So that time it helped me on how how to how to market my things and doing stuff like that. So the first thing I ended up coming up with, I did a supplement company. So I got a supplement company, um JPS supplements, JPS supplements.com. I got a pre-workout, a brain supplement, 
and stuff like that. And also, I got a coffee shop that I'm opening up called Just Love Coffee. It's out in Claremont, Florida area for anybody that's, you know, um, Claremont, Florida. Be opening up December 1st. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Well, one of the best backs, at least for a period of time in the NFL, when he was toting the rock for the Tennessee Titans, Chris Johnson, former East Carolina Pirate and Olympia High School standout. And he went head to head with you quite a bit, dues, uh, not just at the college level, but then also at the NFL level. Yeah, actually, was my teammate twice, once in Tennessee, and then we met up again in New York. As you just heard the story about me and him having a little wager with the UCF ECU game back in, in 2014. And the thing about Chris Johnson, it was almost comparable kind of like to what Lamar Jackson is now. I'm not saying from the quarterback position, but from the running back position, Chris was almost impossible to catch from behind. And then in the open space, there was nobody tackling him. That's how fast this guy was. And when he was running full speed, it like he was jogging. It really, it was kind of disrespectful when you're on defense <laughs> to see this guy practically jogging where everybody's got, the pedal to the metal opened up all the way and you still can't catch him. And I remember him having 60 yards, 70, 80 yard run all the time. So we've had a, a few battles and, and especially going back to UCF and, and ECU, as we stated, whoever won that game usually won the East division. So it was definitely a, a rivalry and, and, and UCF should look at it like that because it goes back a while, a few years, at least almost a decade. Now where those ECU and UCF games were always battles. Yeah, even though the Knights have won the past four and seven of the past nine, overall in the series, this will be game number 19, the Pirates with a slim margin 10 to 8. All right, so that said, Deuce, let's get to some keys for a night victory here out on the road where there will be no fans in the stands. What do we want to see from UCF to come back to East Orlando 2-0 and and then go up against Tulsa next week from the bounce house? Well, my first key is on defense. We have to to make Holton Ayers uncomfortable. He can't you can't allow this guy to stay in the pocket to be comfortable. He completes over sixty percent of his passes and also threw for over thirty three hundred yards last year. I did say this before. He has a, a a issue with turning the ball over. So let's see if we can make him uncomfortable in the pocket. I'm looking for the defensive line who did played really well. Randy Charlton was just you know inches away from maybe having four sacks last week. He was applying a lot of pressure. And then I'm also looking at Randy Shannon. Can he confuse the quarterback with a lot of different defensive schemes, uh, exotic coverages to really mess with his mind? So the D-line and Randy Shannon, they need to, to come come with the with their big boy hats and and, and be ready to play. And also, uh, Holton Ayers is an issue when he runs the ball. He's an athletic quarterback. He was third on the team in rushing last year. So when he leaves the pocket, he turns into a running back, and he's not sliding down. So you better bring your big boy pass because he, he's looking to truck linebackers and safeties in the secondary. Hey, dudes, offensively, and this, you know, we should get to this because there were a couple injuries last week for the Knights. We don't know the status of Trey Nixon. It looked like an apparent shoulder injury as he came down with that that touchdown. And then Greg McRae exited the game, played without Parker Boudreaux from a week ago. So now here entering the second game, it, it looks to be as if Greg will play. We don't know the, the specifics here with some of those other nights. But that all said, offensively keys here against East Carolina, against the defense that was there towards the bottom of a lot of different statistics in all of college football, not just in the American. 
Yeah, the keys on offense to me is, one, establish the run. We talked about it, the balance last week. I think we ran for over 240, and then we threw for over 400 yards. Uh, Dylan Gabriel played ridiculous. And also, we have to continue to get uh, different receivers uh, involved in the game. That's the thing that was so special last week. Six different receivers caught a pass. We have to continue with that continuity. That way they can't key on a a Marlon Williams or or a Jalen Robinson because there's so many other receivers that can go out there and make plays. And when you do that, it really opens up the offense because it's hard for defensive coordinators to really scheme on one player. We talked about it last year. Gabe Davis was a guy that teams wanted to try to take out. They still had a problem doing that. But when you have so many receivers catching the pass from your quarterback, you really can't scheme to take out one receiver because there's so many options. So if we continue to do that, spread the ball around, run the ball effectively, because that helps with the play action pass game. Because if you can't run the ball, then people aren't going to really go for those like zone read fakes because they know you're passing the ball. If we continue to do that, our offense will open up and it'll be hard for ECU's defense to stop us. Keys to the game, Leger Doosable. And Leger, well, I think you know what t- I know what time it is right now here <laughs> on Two Nights, One Podcast. We always finish the show with what we like to call Doos Speak. And Doos is able to somehow bring back yesteryear from something a coach said that he delivered it maybe in a pregame or during uh, some sort of workouts during the offseason where it resonated or maybe it was just kind of off the wall. So we call it Dues Speak. So Dues, finish out here this this week two for us with, with something a coach once said to you. Well, actually, it's probably one of my first coaches. My dad actually said this to okay. me. and. And it's simple. And I usually, you know, write this. I used to write this in the back of my locker room. I actually used to write it on the back of my my bedroom door when I walked out so I could see it every day. And it was, how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to achieve it? And that thing really resonated with me. My dad told me this in high school when, um, you know, I had had some issues with some of the coaches at my high school. I feel like they weren't, you know, really doing their jobs as far as what what, what recruiting-wise, like getting out the film and stuff to other coaches. And uh, my dad would always tell me, you know, son, how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to achieve it? Because if you show that on film, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Somebody's going to see that and you're going to get an offer. And and sure enough, you know, the offer started rolling in. But I think that really resonated with me. My dad told me that my junior year heading into my senior year. And it really boded well for me. and, And it helped me take off and have a great senior year and then turn that into a college career that was was really well and then also playing 10 years in the NFL and and every locker room I've been in I've always taped that to the back of my locker well thank you dad dues because it boded well for night fans too we got to see the the dues for four years and have a conference championship uh at that so oh yeah the first ever nice (laughs) very good all right well well said dues all right here game number two up in uh Greenville let's uh let's go out there and get them Oh, let's go get this done, man. Go Knights. Yeah, and charge on. As always, subscribe here to Two Nights in One Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's Leger Doosable. I'm Scott Adams. This has been Two Nights, One Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.